She appears to be in a universe where everyone has hot dogs instead of fingers. I have so many questions about the hot dog fingers, and I don't think I have enough time to uh, ask them or get answers for them. But are other things hot dogs? Do we have hot dog feet in this universe? Oh my God, so many more questions. Cinema Psych Podcast. Podcast, where psychology meets film. I am your host, Dr. Alex Swan, and today we are going to enter the multiverse through a nice, delicious bagel. That's right, we're talking the 2022 mega hit, Everything Everywhere, All at Once. E-E-A-A-O. <laughs> it sounds like I'm doing like alphabet soup with that. But um, yeah, no, we're going to have fun in the multiverse. This might be the only multiverse movie that ends up on the podcast. But you know what? It's a good one. It's a really good one. It was my favorite multiverse movie of 2022. It was not the only multiverse movie of 2022, which is weird, which is a weird thing to say. But coming out of the the terrible parts of the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of companies were just like, well, what if things were different? A lot of movie companies, I should say. What if things were different in other universes? And we get to explore that with uh, an amazing set of actors and a very interesting and uh, I would I would say wildly original idea that still has heart. It still has a, a, a plot that makes sense. It still has f- those character connections. There are arcs. It follows the traditional story sense where there's a rising action conflict and resolution. It's a really solid film. And if it weren't for the actors and if it weren't for the Daniels, the the, the writer-director team, the Daniels, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, it's an, it's an odd German one to say, but um, if it weren't for the Daniels and putting everything they had into this and then finding the right actors and specifically one actor that I'm just going to give massive props to for giving him a chance, for the Daniels to give him a chance, and to just see him again. And that's Kihoi Kwan. He was amazing uh, as a child actor in um, Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom, and The Goonies. And, you know, he had a tough time as a child actor, went and decided not to do much acting, but... He's back again and he's doing it and it's amazing. And he was also really great in Loki season two as Ouroboros. Um, so I'm I'm happy to see him again. And he did a fantastic job coming back to Hollywood in a b- really big way. He plays Waymond, 
Waymond Wang, um, who is the husband to Michelle Yeoh's main character, Evelyn Wang. Uh, and then a few other people that I want to mention before we just jump into the the discussion here, because there's a lot to cover in this movie. There's a lot of psychological stuff to cover in this movie, which I, I think is amazing. So um, I so I already said Michelle Yeoh and Kihoi Kwan. Um, we've got Stephanie Shu, who plays their daughter, Joy Wang, but also, spoiler alert, the main villain, quote unquote, uh, of the movie, Jobu. Uh, we learned that halfway through the movie, so it's not really a spoiler alert, but just in case you were like, ah, why didn't you do that? Uh, yes, uh, Stephanie plays the, we'll call it uh, the traditional sense of a villain, but honestly, Evelyn's own psychology and life decisions are essentially the other uh, antagonist in this movie. I don't want to call it a villain. People make choices, and then we got to live with the consequences of those choices. And so it's not really a villain, but honestly, that's sort of how it plays out. And, and Joy ends up, as Jobu, being like the manifestation of those uh, of those choices and, and where each of the family members led them where their choices led them. Jamie Lee Curtis plays Deirdre Bobirdra, uh, which I think is just the Daniels being like, she's a kooky character. She's playing an IRS agent. She's kooky. Why not have her name just be the most ridiculous thing you have ever heard? Deirdre Bobirdra. Like you're you're just making fun of your friend's name. Uh, in the game, you're just like um, Alex Bobalix. That would be like my last name, Bobalix. Uh, <laughs> so that's really good. That's really good. Deirdre Bobirdra ends up being another kind of antagonist in the story. Ultimately comes around. There's some redemption there. But as an IRS agent, right, you're just there to like be like, you didn't do your taxes right. And sort of making a mess of of everything. And the movie is kickstarted with the irs meeting um on their taxes for their business which is a laundromat other people in this movie james hong plays her uh michelle yo michelle yo's character's father uh he goes by the name gong gong in the movie um jenny slate plays a bit character called debbie the dog mom really really funny character not all of that like fully contained within the movie but just like kind of a fun side character uh harry shum jr for all you gleeks out there you glee fans he was um he was one of the main characters in later seasons he was a background character in a couple of early seasons he was just a good dancer so that's why he was in the glee club he was just good at dancing um, he plays Chad, which is uh, a Ratatouille uh, parody where instead of a rat on his uh, head controlling him like in that Pixar movie, he has a raccoon, um, raccoon uh on his head. Raccoon-y. I love it. Um, and then uh, a, a relatively newcomer, Tally Madell plays Becky Schrager who is Joy's girlfriend in the film. Joy's girlfriend, and and one of the central themes of this movie is that Joy is gay, 
but traditional Chinese families uh, don't really know how to uh, navigate uh, that kind of relationship. So you explore a little bit of that too, and there's some the disconnect in uh, Evelyn's life and her connection with her daughter because of that. So we're going to explore not only that and the relationships among the key players in this movie, including Deirdre Bobirdra, that cannot be understated. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna jump right in. So let's do it. My guest host today is Dr. Xiaomeng Mona Xu. Mona was born in Fuling, China and immigrated to the U.S. at age five. She grew up in New York City and fell in love with psychology when she took an AP psych class in high school. After earning her PhD, Mona joined the faculty at Idaho State University, and she wants to recognize that this is on Shoshone Bannock land in Pocatello, Idaho, where she is currently a professor of psychology and the director of experimental training. In addition to teaching undergraduate and graduate courses, Mona runs the THOR Research Lab, and THOR stands for Teaching Health and Optimal Relationships, and perhaps one of the best lab names I have ever seen. I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. Mona is really good. <laughs> so thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you for having me, Alex. And I am very proud of that uh, lab name. It took my sabbatical to kind of land on it. <laughs> it's going for... Um, the Marvel theme, because uh, with my last name, a mm -hmm. lot of times folks struggle with pronouncing it. And so um, to my delight, a few um, students have started calling me Professor X. Uh, so <gasps> that's partly the Marvel connection. And I don't know if you can see behind me, but I have a copy of um, issue, I want to say 14, the first appearance of Professor X. Uh, framed as a gift from a colleague. I love that. I can kind of see it. It's it's I think it's getting a little reflection. So uh, listeners, we we have a video. We're, we're chatting via video. You can only hear our voices, obviously. But yeah, I can see a little bit of it. Some of it's getting catching the light glare, but that's really cool. You'll have to show me after we record. Sure. Uh, <laughs> um, but that's awesome. I wish I had that. Uh, no, my name is just a bird. Cool. Um, all right. Birds are great. <laughs> well, well, thank you. I appreciate that. So we have a lot to chat about with our movie. But before we jump into the discussion of everything everywhere all at once, uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on um, film in general, what, what you like, what you don't like about the medium and then using film in teaching, because as we'll learn here um, EEAO has a, a, a very strong connection to your teaching. But just in general, what, what do you think? Yeah, in general, I, I like films, I think, as much as the next person. I don't know if I'd call myself like a you know film expert, mm -hmm. but I enjoy going to the movies or watching films at home. It's a great medium for storytelling and really immersing yourself and um, escapism, if that's what you're into, mm -hmm. or, you know, just making you laugh. I tend to go for um, comedies and some drama. I stay away from horror films. Oh, me too. I've seen like maybe a handful in my entire life. I'm <laughs> just such a wuss. Um, I'm also a crier, so I will cry at just about anything. Um, mm -hmm. And and this movie, many, many tears. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's partly a 
a good experience too, right? To be able oh, to yeah, feel. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Emoting is important in storytelling, even when, you know, it was the elder who was reciting a story from memory orally, right? There were still yeah. probably tears in that. So, yeah, absolutely. And then what about uh, film in teaching? Yeah, I don't use it that often. Uh, occasionally, small clips. I think okay. I use media a little more broadly, um, TV shows, mm -hmm. uh, for example, clips from them, and then also um, specific shows. So I also taught a course once on uh, The Good Place. Mm -hmm. uh, Co-taught co it with a moral philosophy professor. So oh, that was uh, a awesome, really fun awesome. time. Um, but I think, you know, using those video clips or um, examples talking about film can be really, really powerful. They're, they're things that our students are really, you know, have an understanding for or feel passionate about. Uh, it can help really convey psychological concepts. It gives them a, a place to, you know, apply that knowledge or bring in examples, right? Um, and then especially if you're watching a film together or having a course you know, kind of with a jumping off point of a film, mm -hmm. um, having that experience in common ground can be so helpful because you have this shared knowledge of, hey, these scenes we watch together, these characters, these relationships, we can really dive into that and, and talk about psychological phenomenon that way. Yeah. Um, it's also just fun, right? It, yeah. It's much more engaging than just me lecturing all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, we can dissect things together. And I think one of the beautiful things about film is, you know, you bring in your own lived experiences. And so your experience of watching it is never identical to someone else's. And so it's oh, yeah. part of the Absolutely. fun of talking about it. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, what stood out to you? Like mm -hmm. details that maybe I totally didn't notice or I really found it profound this way. And maybe mm -hmm. someone else is like, this was a terrible movie. <laughs> and then you kind of talk about like, okay, what, what's the disconnect here? And yeah. you get to learn about each other that way too. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I love that last part because um, I just asked uh, both my Twitter network and my Facebook network and my Facebook network. I have a lot of former students that I've connected with on Facebook. And I asked the question, what movie do you associate with me? This is, this is kind of a, a oh, meme a kind question. of going around social media right now. Um, and a lot of my former students piped up in in this uh in reply to this this post and they were they all mentioned movies that they watched in one of my classes which is just like oh uh, so heartwarming oh i loved seeing all of their replies um the and especially of the movies that they're like oh my god i can't get it out of my head why did you make me watch that movie so yeah so uh one specific uh one that um i think uh i scarred my students for life was um a clockwork orange so that was uh. that was an interesting one but i want to just briefly mention that i love that you mentioned that you you did a, a course on the good place because a colleague of mine at my college also teaches a course based on The Good Place um, oh, in and around ethical reasoning. Yeah. So all of that moral philosophy and then what does that mean for ethics? I just think it's such a good show to be able to like bring a course to. And it's so, so well, um, uh, uh, so well done and how like oh, it was a very tight four seasons and all of that mm -hmm. stuff. So it's I. I think that's great. Uh, it's a little bit harder to do with movies, but as we're going to find out here, um, not necessarily 
terrible, right? You can you can make a course out of a movie. What is that? I got bored one day and I put everything on a bagel. Everything. All my hopes and dreams, my old report cards, every breed of dog, every last personal ad on Craigslist. Sesame, poppy seed, salt. And it collapsed in on itself. Because <laughs> you see, when you really put everything on a bagel, it becomes this. Come on. Come on, Devon. The truth. What is the truth? Nothing matters. No, Joy. You don't believe that? Feels nice, doesn't it? If nothing matters, and all the pain and guilt you feel for making nothing of your life goes away. Sucked into a bagel. Now that we've mentioned just film in general, let's jump into our current discussion for everything, everywhere, all at once. And I'm going to probably go in between, uh, listener, I'm probably going to go in between saying the full title, it is a mouthful, <laughs> so I might just do my alphabet vowels and say E-A-O, um, and that just might sound like a, I'm like a banshee wailing, but it is what it is. So, Mona, if you will, uh, explain when we were talking about having you on the show, what made you choose EEAO? Yeah, sure. Um, before I do that, can I just do a little tangent? Uh, so I sure. just watched the extra features on the DVD. And okay. one of the working titles for the movie, um, I believe, was Hot Dog Hands. <laughs> so if that's easier for you to say, <laughs> I think. Oh, um, I love working titles. Oh, they're so good. But yes. So um, what made you choose this movie? Yeah. So when you first reached out to me, I was um, I think I had just started maybe co-teaching an honors course um, called Traveling the Multiverse, uh, co-teaching it with my um a lovely friend, Dr. Colin Johnson, who's a political scientist. Oh, excellent. Um, a, a professor, also a, um, a faculty at ISU. Mm -hmm. um, and so this was a course that used um, EAO or hot dog hands as a jumping off point um, to discuss a lot of topics and to, because it was an honors course that was open to students across multiple um, disciplines, there was only actually, I think, like two or three folks who are psychology majors, mm -hmm. you know, we wanted it to be broad and to really focus on how do we recognize the multiverses within us, um, those of others, and how do we be better people and have better interactions. Mm -hmm. The way this came about was uh, at ISU, folks can pitch their dream class, right? And the honors program selects a few um, every semester. That's awesome. And Colin and I, um, you know, just friends chatting back and forth. Uh, we were just, you know, it'd be fun to teach together. Like, uh -huh. We get along well. We have teaching styles that kind of mesh, but are, are different. So we'll learn from each other. 
-hmm. And we bounced all these ideas off each other about like what we could teach on. There were so many things that we had um, overlapping interests in. Yeah. And then last year at Halloween, completely unprompted, unplanned, we ran into each other at a friend's party and we both were dressed up from everything everywhere all at once. And so we just immediately were like, ah, this is the (laughs) thing, right? So I was... Evelyn, I had the googly eye on my mm-hmm. forehead, and he um, was uh, Deirdre Babirja uh, with the hot dog fingers that he had gotten from A24, um, the production company. So they were like the official ones. And That's so awesome. Was, the, yeah. the official hot dog fingers. I love it. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah. And then we just had a lovely summer, like meeting weekly to just talk mm-hmm. about like, what would this class even look like? What are we going to talk about? What readings are we going to do? What are... So it ended up being um, just a great time. So when you reached out to me, I was we had just started that class and I was like, that's all I can think about right now. Is this movie <laughs> uh, is like the only movie that exists for me right now. So yeah. I, like, I, I would like to talk to you about that. Yeah. that and And that's amazing. And I and I said to you that like. Uh, my favorite multiverse story and obviously my favorite multiverse story from 2022 because I said in the intro it wasn't the only multiverse story in 2022 <laughs> so yes. we were as a market uh, getting getting a bit of it, it was like the year that No Strings Attached and Friends with Benefits came out um, uh, you know yeah. two, uh, two movies about uh, casual sex Mm-hmm. that were just planned and shot and released at the same exact time but this one does the EAO does a a lot better job of having a coherent system and something that like at this point is still very much science fiction and so it does and, and it has a very good story um with characters you don't see very often right because they're east asian and mm-hmm. and even though there are you know uh movies with central characters that are east asian they're usually not all main characters of east asian descent uh and it and, and so it's a very very useful movie in exploring diversity and and telling stories that haven't really been told before yeah and um yeah, for me, just the representation of Absolutely, the characters, yeah. the, the the actors, uh, everyone involved in the film mm-hmm. was fantastic and just really f- awesome to see, especially so mainstream and so awarded. Right. I yeah. think this is still the most awarded film of all time, um, which makes me very, very happy. Uh, I also love multiverse anything, multiverse and time travel. Like, yeah, even if it's a bad movie, like I just like the idea that someone's going to play with that and you might see something new right and you kind of yeah. oh how's that going to go although sometimes like people write themselves into corners because it's like oh that's then you just kind of sometimes kinda, it doesn't make sense yeah right or like the resolution is sort of a hand wave right, <laughs> right. yeah and i i i I love how you frame that because um time time travel and multiverse stories we're never going to really experience them in our real life. Like it it Mm. makes it sets that kind of science fiction apart from different kinds of movies, Uh, whether they're just regular dramas or, or period pieces or, or or something like that. We're never really going to experience any of that stuff in real, real life. 
Um, so it's fun to see how we can use our imaginations to like weave these intricate plots. And I think the Daniels did a really good job of creating a zany multiverse. Yeah, I think it's the ultimate what if, right? You oh, get yeah. All the possibilities that you it's it's the everything bagel of <laughs> every possible outcome. You also mentioned like connections to other movies too. What were some of the connections that you saw before we jump into the psych stuff um, that the Daniels did here? Yeah, I mean, I think there are so many and I'm sure someone has compiled this yeah. and gone through it um, in detail. But I mean, some of the ones that stuck out to me, uh, Rakakuni. Yeah, oh, I right? love Rakakuni. Like, that is the best Um just such a hilarious moment and, and such a wonderful moment in terms of like the way, you know, when you're talking to someone else who uh, maybe for language or generational reasons, like it's not their wheelhouse. They get it just slightly wrong. Like that's just such a perfect example of um, yes, you know, trying trying to remember Ratatouille, but it's Rakakuni instead. <laughs> um, so that's, yeah, all the sequences with uh, Rakakuni. Um, were amazing. Uh, when when the movie was done, A24 did a an auction of some of their um, props and stuff and Rakakuni went up and Colin and I were like, oh, could we somehow get a grant to like purchase Rakakuni? <laughs> yeah, I, I forgot how much it went for. It went for like thousands and thousands of dollars. But I can imagine for a little while, I was like, oh, that would be so beautiful to like show up on the first day of class and just have Rakakuni. Oh, yeah, that would be real uh, under, uh, you know, under a chef's hat of, of one of you come walking in there like <laughs> and yeah. then it's under your chef hat. That would be great. Yeah. And then just I mean, it, so many martial arts movies mm -hmm. are are um, nods to and and I think one of the really really um, interesting things about everything ever all at once is it's really difficult to categorize it. So when um, we started this class, uh, we we didn't we had a viewing for for the students mm -hmm. and we didn't or they could watch it on their own. Um, but actually, about half the students in the class took it without having seen it. Um, Yes, interesting. Which was an interesting, yeah, interesting choice. And some of them were like, what is this movie about? I haven't heard about it. And it's just so interesting thinking about like, it's really hard to describe. Yeah. It's like even the genre of it. It's like it's a little bit of everything, mm -hmm. right? You have it's this um, mother daughter drama mm -hmm. story. It's an immigrant story. Mm -hmm. It's absurd comedy. <laughs> you know, it it makes you laugh. It makes you cry. It's super profound, even though it's just the most ridiculous thing you can imagine. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that that's, I think, always just super interesting thinking about how how would you even describe this movie to someone who hadn't yeah. seen, it, seen it? I don't I don't think there's a really good way. It's one of those like you just have to see it and then you'll and then maybe repeat watch it because it really rewards repeat watching. It, it, it does. You catch all of the different things um, in every every time you watch it because um i was just i before we started recording i was watching a clip and it was the clip that she first evelyn first enters the um hot dog fingers universe mm. and so while she's while she's trying to switch universes because she's face to face with jobu at this moment <laughs> how does she get there right and so they explain how you have to diverge in different ones and you have to make certain choices and so she pees herself and then mm -hmm. but while she's flashing through to get to the hot dog hands universe there are like frames upon frames of just information that you can gather 
from f- from it. So like every time there is a jump, well, not maybe not every time there's a jump, but uh, many times where there's a jump, um, especially on all of the new ones that we see toward the beginning of the film, you you get all of this extra stuff, which is kind of fun to like pour through frame by frame. Mm-hmm. And I've I've watched videos where the the guy these guys go frame by frame and then just share every detail from those frames it's kind of fun when you can yeah. spend that much time with a movie and break it down so so nicely and still get like real good stuff out of it i think that's real fun yeah um and then in terms of other movies it references for me my absolute favorite was the multiverse where evelyn is uh, essentially Michelle Yeoh, right? Like yeah, a yeah. Very, very famous um, movie um, actor. And then especially when she meets Waymond again and they're talking in the alleyway, it's such an homage to uh, Wong Kar Wai, and, uh, who's a director, screenwriter, mm-hmm. and um, Christopher Doyle, um, the cinematographer he worked with for many, many years. And, and in particular, um, the movie In the Mood for Love, which is probably one of my favorite films of all time. Mm-hmm. Although the this one might have surpassed it. I don't know. <laughs> You'll have to do your rankings. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, it's a great, and, and especially in the alleyway too. Um, great homage. And then of course the Daniels just hit uh, after, you know, after the height of Rakakuni, they kind of just hit all little things here and there. Um, you know, there's a couple of matrix references. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that they're using that Bluetooth, um, that really old Bluetooth, a headset from like a very mm. specific period in like the mid 2000s that everyone had. I had one was also an amazing callback too. So it's not even just the film references, but just like the cultural touchstone references too. Right. Did you have one of those Bluetooth? Uh... I did not. I was not cool enough. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if that is how we should frame it um, because I certainly wasn't cool enough either. <laughs> Did you have a pager? Did you go through a pager phase? Uh, I did not have a pager, thankfully. This that <laughs> that predates that predates me um, having a pager. My mom had a pager, uh, but no, I had a brick. I had a brick cell phone okay. in the early. Yeah, 2000s. I wasn't sure if sometimes I think parents would give their kids like a pager so they could like have a way of being like, you need to get back home right now, or you know, <laughs> call call me right away. No, we lucked out on that one because I think that would have been that would have been ridiculous. Are you a drug dealer? Because that that was the <laughs> that was the rhetoric around pagers at the time, too. It's like only doctors and drug dealers need pagers. <laughs> Holy shit. Is he dead? <sighs> See, not dead. Go. So let's jump into this first segment of psych concepts and 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 for the for the listeners, a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about in these two segments on psych concepts do come from a lot of work put into this course by Mona, and she's she was grace gracious enough to share this stuff with with us. So um, I just want to give her a shout out on this one because courses take a lot of work to put together, and we're not even going to get to uh, chat about everything that they talked about in this course. And I'm sure. If we had the time, we could. But of course, this can't be a five hour show. So <laughs> uh, for both our sakes and for your sakes, listener. So we're going to we're going to highlight a few of the things that I think are central to the story. 
and um, go from there. So this first segment, we're going to talk about self and identity and specifically uh, something that minority and marginalized groups have to do, which is code switching and code meshing um, in different aspects of their lives. And then in the, the second segment, we'll talk about one of the more fascinating aspects of the movie, which is relationships. So let's jump into self and identity. And you have right off the bat, Mona, self-expansion. And <laughs> I know, I, I just know a little bit about this theory. So I want to kind of set it up as I explain it to my students in Psych 101 for for uh, for everyone here. This is, this is a very basic definition of, of self-expansion theory. Sure. And then I'll have you um, do me better, okay? Um, wow. Well, we'll see. You might, <laughs> no, you might have it perfectly. No, absolutely not. Um, so the way that I explain self-expansion um, is in relation to relationships, obviously, um, and how uh, a the self it changes in a relationship and how we integrate our partner's identity into our own identity. And I have this image that is basically a Venn diagram of two circles. One represents you, the student, and the other one represents your potential partner or your actual partner, because some of them are in relationships, of course. And I and and it it progresses as it get uh, as this image goes the the two circles um, start overlapping and so by the end of it's like I don't know six iterations of these Venn, of this Venn diagram over and these circles overlapping the majority of the identity is contained within the middle of the Venn diagram as opposed to on the outsides of the Venn diagram so that is to say that the diagrams themselves are explaining how uh, a person's identity within a relationship can ultimately and it's a pro it, 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 you know it's a it's a process can ultimately mm -hmm. um, become more of your identity than your the two identities that exist outside of the relationship or not in the relationship if that makes sense how did I do yeah I think you did pretty well so you're focusing on uh, the second principle of the self-expansion model, which is about um, relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, the way I'd sort of adjusted a little uh, is two ways. So, so first, within that principle, um, one thing to keep in mind is that when the uh, the circles are getting more overlap, mm -hmm. the circles themselves are also growing in size. And okay. So if you look at that scale, actually, so uh, you just want to be clear, clear that it's not like the other person is, is subsuming your identity or vice <laughs> right, versa. Right. It's that you're gaining, um, you're adding to the self-content and your adding sense of self is growing. Okay. But the model basically is a motivational model that says, uh, principle one, people are motivated to add positive content to their self-concept. Mm -hmm. So who am I today? I'm motivated to um, add good things to that by um, gaining resources, skills, perspectives, um, be becoming feeling more self-efficacy that I can do mm -hmm. things. And the way we do that is through principle two, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes by um, engaging with others and including their identities into our own. So what you were talking about. Okay. Um, but there's been the last maybe 15, 20 years, a lot of research also on self-expansion um, outside of the relationship okay. domain. 
So you can self-expand on your own. Oh, um, okay. I didn't, you know, yeah, I wasn't aware of that. Very cool. Yeah. Um, in the workplace. Okay. Um, so, you know, your identity as you know, a professor. Okay. Um, your hobbies, your identity as a musician or, or what have you. Um, okay. And the way that often um, you add these positive uh, pieces to the self-concept is through engaging in experiences that are novel, exciting, challenging, mm -hmm. interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and then slowly you're, you gain more and more identities and, and your sense of self and what you think you're capable of doing hopefully expands. So would you say then that doing this podcast um, would be self-expansioning, self-expanding, there we go, mm -hmm. um, for me? Yeah, I would. I would guess so. Yeah, okay. um, I mean, if you were to, if I were to ask you, you know, who are you, Alex, mm. and ask you to write things, would mm -hmm. podcaster be on there? Probably. Yeah. yeah. So, and that might not have happened immediately, uh -huh. right? The first episode you recorded, maybe that wouldn't have been the case. <laughs> but the more this becomes like, you know, part of who you are, um, yeah, and, okay. and the more hopefully you're, you, at this point, I would assume you feel very confident in your abilities to produce a <laughs> podcast because you've produced so many episodes by now, right? Sure. Uh, that's very kind of you um, to say. We'll see. <laughs> well, you're little, still doing it. That's so a little self-deprecating. Sort of... I, 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 I kind of I, I keep myself in check by by being self-deprecating. But you're right. Um, I do feel more confident um, in being able to produce it, have conversations with new colleagues. Um, we, you and I met for the first time um, last year at the ACT conference. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, having these quick conversations about, hey, you like movies? Oh, you like, you do the movie thing. And then it's like, and then we go from there. And so, yeah, I, I mean, not to get too deeply into me but let's bring it back to um <laughs> eao so if we're uh, applying uh self-expansion to the characters in the movie uh who would mm -hmm. you say engages in th these kinds of of behaviors yeah i think we see pretty much everyone do it whenever they're verse jumping okay um so if we focus on evelyn uh what we get to see is just a massive amount of self-expansion happening mm -hmm. to her, right? Uh, maybe too much, uh, we would argue. <laughs> and and you could even argue that for Jobu, it, it's way too much self-expansion. If you are absolutely everyone in every situation ever, do you even yeah. have a sense of self anymore, right? And then you get into that kind of nihilistic potential. Yeah. But we see Evelyn, you know, starting out in this very, um, you know, clearly she's not super excited or happy about her life mm -hmm. she's just kind of going through um the you know going through the motions trying to deal with everything mm -hmm. um and she gets uh even before the verse jumping starts the one time we see her kind of get a little bit a bit of joy is when she's watching that kind of soap opera or mm -hmm. whatever movie is showing that we later see a hot dog finger version of right you, know, you can see her kind of daydreaming right and then later she gets to live that when she gets the movie star mm -hmm. um, multiverse experience um, and you can see her potentially her mind fracturing as this is happening very very quickly and she's gaining more identities but you can also see her literally uh, very quickly gain abilities yeah. right she doesn't know how to do these various things yeah. and all of a sudden she can fight she mm -hmm. can sing opera and because of that her lung capacity is better you yeah. know all these different things happen so it's a very um obvious kind of end product of self-expansion that we're getting to 
really witness uh, as it happened. I, I, I'm intrigued by what you said about her mind starting to fracture and the use of the word identity. So, of course, identity is sort of an ambiguous mm-hmm. word, right? And we use it, especially in psychology, we, we use it for a lot of things. But those two things together just make me think of dissociative identity disorder. And I'm not not oh, that I'm equating, not that I'm equating like too much self-expansion is pathological or anything like that. But I just thought it was interesting how you kind of m- melded those two um, terms together. And it just it just um, switched something on in my mind that like it w- it's entirely possible this is for just this in-universe kind of logical consistency. It's entirely possible that if somebody could not handle that, that they could maybe fall into a heap of psychosis. Yeah, I don't know if there's any data to suggest. Oh, that, yeah, I think no, I, what, I doubt What typically that. would happen, I mean, Evelyn is just sort of like thrown into the right, situation where right, she can't right, right. really help it. Um, typically when you have potentially like too much self-expansion, like it's, it gets overwhelming, mm-hmm. like too many new experiences, you will almost certainly like automatically kind of pull back a little. Right. Yeah. Right. Although, I mean, there might be situations with which you can't. Um, and then and on the other side of things, uh, if things get really boring and just, you know, you're just unmotivated, mm-hmm. it might be really helpful to try to add some more yeah. excitement and novelty to your life. Um, and everyone's uh, level is different. Right. So, yeah. Um, when we think about like the possibility of doing interventions with self-expansion to enhance relationships or enhance other things. So mm-hmm. some of my um, research has shown that self-expansion is associated with better um, behavioral health outcomes in mm-hmm. terms of physical activity, uh, weight control, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, smoking, uh, cessation. So when we're suggesting like do self-expanding things, it's not like, okay, every day you have to like go skydiving or like find something <laughs> like because it it's really just you know you want some excitement mm-hmm. um, and novelty but it's it's not to the point that's overwhelming and terrifying like that's not going to be helpful mm-hmm. um, and what is perfectly self-expanding for me may be incredibly boring for someone else um, so the examples I use are like all very Idaho based like when I moved here I'd never um, I'd only been to Idaho once for my interview and so yeah I and I grew up in a big city. So all the like small towns things, um, like going to my first rodeo and and seeing um, mutton busting for the first time, which is when little kids um, do rodeo events on sheep. On sheep. Um, it is, mutton busting. Yes. I get it. <laughs> yes. It is. It was so exciting. And I was like, just so into it. Um, and other people were like, OK, I mean, it's cute, but it's, you know, they've seen it a million yeah. times. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's there's some individualization there. This is a little a little bit of a tangent, but with with your your point there of growing up in a big city um, and, and a very dense city uh, at that. I grew up in a big city, but a very spread out city in Los Angeles. So we don't necessarily have the same shared experience there, but it's very similar as moving to our our, our uh, current locations. So I'm in mm-hmm. the middle of central Illinois and uh, I'm. There are a couple of city centers, small, very, very small compared to Chicago, of course, um, but pocket uh, uh, all around. And then we're just surrounded by farms and mostly corn, corn and soy. Anyways, my students made fun of me when um, they were talking about um, combines, farm combines. And I'm like, what the hell is a combine? Mm. And I, I 
I will. This is not an embarrassing thing. I'm I'm okay with not knowing that and people making fun of me about it. <laughs> Apparently, and I don't you I don't know if you know what a combine is, but it's the the tool that is used to basically rip everything up out of the ground right. and, and you know put it where it needs to go in massive farming things. And I was just like, I don't know what that was, and um, I'm okay. I'm okay with not knowing what that is. I know it now, obviously, but mm-hmm. they were all like, T. <laughs> like this, this guy from Southern California doesn't know what a combine is. Look at this guy. Um, and so uh, that was my, that was my little self-expansion thing. A tiny little, tiny little self-expansion. I add that to the knowledge bank and that's about it. What are you doing? I'm learning to fight like you. My wife used to wear that exact same perfume, God rest her soul. These are direct indications that there's an impingement on the nervous system. With a little bit of help, we should be seeing things that are nice and straight. You might feel a little sore, but everything's looking pretty good. Thank you. I have a question for you to bring it back to the movie. Mm-hmm. You said every character does uh, engage in self-expansion. Could you explain to the listeners, because I think this is very, uh, I think this is a, a critical part of the the film, and I mentioned it in the in the intro. So we don't have a lot of time to, sp- to spend on it, but Joy is gay in the movie, and- Mm-hmm. So Joy brings um, her girlfriend Becky to meet the family because Becky was going to stay with um, Joy's grandfather. And so I, I mention how in, in the intro to this episode, how um, it's explored in the movie as a delicate subject because traditional Chinese homes, and please correct me if I'm wrong, don't necessarily understand uh different non-heteronormative relationships and so it was going to be uh, a difficult conversation to have with her grandfather so my question is at the end of the movie do we see gong gong engage in some self-expansion with how he engages with becky i think we see the start of it potentially we don't see enough of their relationship sure really has very little interaction with Becky. But I think just knowing like that his grandchild is queer, Mm -hmm. that is going to make him have to rethink some things, Mm -hmm. hopefully. And then if he continues that, then, you know, especially if, you know, Becky stays as, you know, part of his life, Mm -hmm. maybe part of the family, like that is, you know, that is one way that we add to our identities, right? When we say, okay, now I have this reference of like, yeah, my... Uh, such and so my you know let's my granddaughter's partner mm-hmm. right my granddaughter is queer and has a partner mm-hmm. right now um whether or not he will kind of embrace that and pursue that will decide kind of how much that becomes part of his ident- okay. identity versus um you know at one point he is so upset with Evelyn that he says you know you're not my daughter anymore right. trying to cut that out so um, but i i think that's a that's a nice way to look at it is we're seeing the beginnings potentially yeah. of self expansion and really 
including this um, these perspectives that he did not have before. Yeah. From a storytelling perspective, it was hard to see how that could go badly for Joy and Becky at the end of the movie. Mm. Right. Because the movie was was ending on a high note and you wouldn't want to <laughs> douse that high note with like negativity uh, towards queer community. Right. So. It was hard to see just from a storytelling perspective that would that would be the opposite. Um, but like you said, we don't see enough of it. But I think I think the way that James Hong plays the character, mm-hmm. um, kind of that twinkle, I mean, he's so good. He's kind of that twinkle mm-hmm. in his eye um, at the end when they're like, I'm Becky and blah, blah, blah. Um, and it goes through. I, 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 I'm, I'm hoping the characters. We probably never meet these characters again, but I'm hoping that they engage in uh, that he engages in that self expansion. And yeah. and so a uh, a sort of corollary to this is the second the second concept, the second broad category that I wanted to bring up. But before I do that, did you want to add anything? For me, one of the really beautiful bits. At the end, um, when, you know, Evelyn kind of corrects her mistake from earlier in the movie where she cuts off Joy to, you know, interrupt her to say, oh, Becky's her good friend. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Um, but now she's introducing, you know, no, this is this is Becky. She's Joy's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. But she turned out to be stubborn, aimless, a mess, just like a mother. But now I see it's OK that she's a mess. Because just like me, is that it almost doesn't matter what Gong Gong thinks anymore. Oh, yeah, sure. Like what she's doing is she's really trying to break that cycle of intergenerational trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and she kind of explicitly says, you know, I'm not going to do to her what you did to me right yeah. and um maybe this was a slightly different scene too like asking him like how could you how could you do that how could you let me leave how could you um and so that acceptance i think is is you know kind of the you know, emotional payoff uh, in a big way mm-hmm. that um i would like to think with that little james hong glimmer and his sort of like what but also like not not immediately you know getting angry or anything that he'll come around in time yeah um and embrace it but in a way, for the mother-daughter storyline, it doesn't even matter anymore, right? They're yeah. they're kind of reclaiming that as their their own. Like we we don't have to just keep perpetuating disapproval and then trying to avoid the disapproval. Like we're just gonna do our own thing. Yeah, I like how you frame that. Yeah, that I I agree. So it, in addition to the self uh, and self self expansion, you mentioned when we were talking about the choice of this movie. Uh, and the kind of movie that it represents for you uh, is an immigration story, story of of especially East Asian and Chinese immigrants to the United States. And what a tumultuous history that is. But I think we can also talk about the these concepts and ideas more broadly. Um, and as you say in, in our notes and in your broad categories from your course, code switching and code meshing. So can you explain to to us and uh, uh, the listeners here, what do you mean by code switching and code meshing? Yeah, so um, code switching is when you are um, changing from essentially one language to another to try to 
accommodate your audience or try to fit in or try to reach whatever goals you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, you know, you might and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be language like English versus Chinese, yeah. although it c- could certainly be. Um, it could be, you know, maybe you talk a certain way when you're texting your friends, mm-hmm. but when you're writing your professors, you're doing it a different way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is somewhat self-censoring sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. You're not necessarily being your full authentic self. Um, you might need to be performative, right? right. To reach your goals. Um, code meshing is sort of the a way of more celebrating the different types of languages you might speak. And for me in this movie, I think I see a little bit more code meshing than code switching. Okay. Certainly there's code switching in terms of like they're at the tax office. They yeah. only speak English to Deirdre. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of code meshing in the sense of switching between English and Mandarin and Cantonese mm-hmm. within the family. And especially when, um, you know, like uh, Evelyn is talking to Gong Gong or talking to Waymond, mm-hmm. who it's not 100% clear, but all three of them might understand um, at least two out of the three. Okay. But just the choice of what to use is not necessarily as deliberate. It's just more um, a natural flow. Yeah. So, um, so for example, in, in the in the course when we did this part, one of the things we told students they could do for their reflection for that week was to just code code mesh as much as they want. Like you don't need to code switch at all. Uh-huh. And a lot of them were just like so freed by the like I don't have to worry about writing like a college paper. Uh-huh. Right? I don't have to worry about who's reading this. And so we had um, students who just did speech to text and submitted that. Uh-huh. Or um, one student <laughs> did all these screenshots from um, uh, Discord okay. they were posting on, right? And, and we did ask, like, if you do something that we might not understand, please give us a translation. <laughs> and and some, some students did have, like, other languages besides English that, you know, we weren't fluent in. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but it was great. And it was just like, well, if you're communicating, you're communicating. Why does it have to be like a particular type of um, speech or a type of language? Mm-hmm. So um, specifically on like in in the, the movie, especially in the earlier scenes where conversations are happening in sort of rapid fire and mm-hmm. um, Evelyn seems like she's just being pulled in so many different directions. So Mandarin and Cantonese are two of the more common slash more used languages um, from China. But there are, of course, a lot of dialects, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Actually, I'm not I'm not a linguist, so I, oh, that's I think okay. they might be different dialects of the same language. Interesting. Um, it depends okay. on how you're dis, uh, defining language. Gotcha. Um, writing wise are the same. It's just the pronunciations are are different and so vastly different that it's like I, I speak some Mandarin mm-hmm. and can understand it. And when I was um, watching the film, I didn't particularly need the subtitles for the Mandarin bits, um, although it was really helpful to have them. And I would notice um, immediately, like sometimes there's not quite accurate translations, or although that might be on purpose. Um, and I think actually adds this additional layer of like you get yeah. two meanings sometimes if you have that bilingualism. Okay. Um, but I'm not trilingual. The Cantonese just sounds like a foreign language to me, right? So interesting. It, okay, yeah. yeah. So I, I I had learned a long time ago that Cantonese and Mandarin were um, quite different. And mm-hmm. uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Cantonese is more or less spoken primarily in Hong Kong and the surrounding regions. Yep it's it's more common in those areas. Uh huh. And then Mandarin is like more or less the major city centers um, north of Hong Kong, I would imagine. So Shanghai, Beijing. Right. 
And I, I think it's sort of like the more official, especially the kind of Beijing Mandarin is, you know, like mm-hmm. BBC British. Yeah. Is, so English is the kind of official um, dialect. But, yeah. it, you know, you have you have dialects everywhere. Um, uh, where I was born, there's also a Sichuan dialect, which I also cannot understand. And so gotcha. when I visit my family there, they have to they're all like, OK, switch to Mandarin for her. <laughs> like, OK, so would would you say then um, it, this is a typical experience of Evelyn then having to switch between Mandarin and Cantonese, depending on who she's talking to in her family? Yeah, it looks that way. So um, Gong Gong, for the most part, I think um, only speaks Cantonese, although he might understand Mandarin. I don't think we hear him speak Mandarin. Mm. We hear him speak Cantonese. And then we also hear but, James Hong speak English. Yes. Alpha Gong Gong. Yeah. Uh, Alpha speaks Gong Gong. English. Yeah, right. um, and then I'm not sure if Waymond ever speaks Cantonese, but he definitely speaks Mandarin and can understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they all, uh, Joy, um, Evelyn, and Waymond all speak English. Mm-hmm. Joy speaks a tiny bit of Mandarin, but um, not very much, which allows for that scene in the beginning where Evelyn just kind of shoves her aside and because she can't think of the um, joy can't think of the word for girlfriend right and so Evelyn you know in a not nice move as a, as a parent or person like steps in to to hide that Speak fact for because she's able daughter. to do that yeah yeah right yeah I think so does um so the Evelyn would do a lot of oh um the other question that I had for you is, could we make the leap here from the psychological concept of, of code switching slash code messing, uh, meshing, excuse me, to that is what she is doing when she jumps the multiverse? Mm. Yeah, it's it's meshing at the highest level, <laughs> right? Just everything comes together um, to the point where, uh, you know, Occasionally, we'll see like even the screen kind of like do that cracking thing where she's yeah like simultaneously in in two multiverses, uh-huh. speaking two different languages at the same time, saying the same thing sometimes mm-hmm. too, um, which which is I think a really beautiful touch. Yeah, yeah, maybe meshing a little too much. Yeah, <laughs> and did does that the way that the Daniels represented uh, this idea in? In the movie. So we'll go back to your first um, example of code switching at the IRS office, right? So we we mm-hmm. meet Deirdre Bobirdra, which is the funniest <laughs> name ever. As I said in the intro, um, Alex Bobalix would be my name if, if I was Aww. named by the Daniels. So the code switching that happens in the IRS office, we, we meet Deirdre, who is a no-nonsense woman. Um, mm-hmm. She does uh, her audits so hard. She has carpal tunnel syndrome, uh, wearing... Um, the 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 wrist braces and everything uh mm-hmm. and they they have to make a good impression on her because essentially her it's her word as an irs uh adjuster to their word with their receipts and you know it has to all be above board because we only like to make things hard in the united states for people mm-hmm. right and so if we make h- things hard for people in the united states it it seems to me that it it's that much harder for immigrants, right? Yeah. And um, to your point of, you know, the jumping around and code switching, I think in, in a way we could think of the movie as an allegory for the immigrant experience mm-hmm. where you're kind of thrown in 
you don't really know what's going on. Um, there's all these things you have to do that are urgent, but it's very tricky to know, like, where am I? What what is happening around me? Yeah. Right. And you're trying to get to a sense of safety, a sense of home. And it's it's kind of impossible. And you're just kind of thrown around um, in all these different iterations. Um, and we see Evelyn really struggle when um, she has to speak English. She's having a hard time really communicating mm-hmm. what she wants to effectively. Um, at one point, she even kind of complains like, you know, you you always like use these big words to confuse us, yeah. which um, partly is a language thing, but partly it's also just, I mean, taxes, even the you're born and only speak English. Like it's hard to mm-hmm. understand mm-hmm. some of those forms. Yeah. Um, this guy right here. And that, <laughs> and that confusion is, is co- potentially costing them their business. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and absolutely. on Deirdre's side of things, like, you know, it's just a very clear cut, like, you're claiming, you know, these hobbies for businesses and you say you're, you know, you're trying to write off being a singer or a novelist or a chef, mm-hmm. which then we see all these yeah, iterations absolutely. of Evelyn being these, those things. Um, and we see at the very end, like much better communication and kind of being a little bit and even Deirdre is like, OK, this is better. Like, I can see what you're going for. Right. Having I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly, if Joy is there at the end to help translate. Yes, I think Mm -hmm. she is. So that might um, be helpful. Um, So, yeah, it's it's we get to see that um, that struggle Mm -hmm. of, you know, she she knows what she was trying to do, Mm -hmm. but she can't quite um, communicate it. And and it's she's trying to communicate to someone who does not have another avenue of communication. Yeah, that's I can't speak as an immigrant, so I I defer to you on this one. But uh, does the story and this is where we'll end this segment. Does the story match your perception of immigrants in the United States? Oh, gosh, um, I don't want to speak for all immigrants. No, no, of um, course not. I I certainly it really, really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I I mean, I immigrated when I was five, so mm-hmm. I. I'm probably much more of a joy. Like my Mandarin is not great. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, I don't know, like second, third grade level, maybe mm-hmm. like I can have some conversations, but very basic. Actually, uh, my grandma loves to tell people when I, when I visit China, like she has a PhD over there, but she's illiterate over here. Oh, <laughs> that's she rough. That's hilarious. Which, which is funny. <laughs> I, I think I that is like, funny. yeah, <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's a little humbling being like, oh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a foreigner. Right. Uh-huh visit my my hometown mm-hmm. right like but yeah i think i i saw a lot of myself in joy and my mom and um my my parents generation uh in evelyn and mm-hmm. that struggle and um i know in, in interviews or maybe it was in the dvd stuff um daniel kwong talks about like writing this movie it was partly like writing his mom and like their generation yeah. and but like them being in one of the Daniels' movies, like they would just be so confused all the time. And that is very true to the immigrant experience of everything is just a little off, right? Sure. You've left you're, and you're trying to learn new things and they don't really make sense. And you end up with um, things like Rakakuni, right? Oh, like yeah. that's your understanding of it. You're trying, but it's just a little off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So for me, I thought it was just such a, um, it, it really resonated. It was such a beautiful um, encapsulation of that experience, the experience of the intergenerational differences as well. Mm-hmm. So with with you know going back to queerness, like 
Evelyn in the beginning thinks that she's very progressive because she's comparing herself to her father and like, quote unquote, his generation. Right. right? He just won't understand. We can't tell him. And by the end, she actually does get a little more um, accepting. And um, I'll I'll share, you know, this was also very resonant to me because I I identify as queer as well. Mm -hmm. um, And I only came out sort of, you know, more publicly last year. And this was the movie that got me to uh, come out to my mom um, in part because I was just like, this is. Yeah, it's it's worth the talking. It, like, no matter what, and and she reacted great. It, it was it wasn't a, that's know, good. wasn't bad in any way. But um, there's a lot of reservedness yeah. in Chinese culture mm-hmm. where you know you just don't talk about these things, right? Well, on that note, I think that's a great note to end this segment on. So we are going to return uh, with the second segment with uh, Dr. Mona Shu. Talking E-E-A-A-O, everything, everywhere, all at once. Stay tuned. Are you a big fan of the Cinema Psych podcast? A connoisseur of the compelling stories and intriguing insights that we have on this show? Well... Show your love in style with our premium podcast merchandise. Yeah, that's right. I've updated the podcast store from ultra comfy hoodies, perfect for cozy podcast binges, to sleek coffee mugs that add a dash of personality to your morning routine. Our merchandise store has it all. I've added so many new products and it's designed to withstand countless listening marathons. There are a lot of episodes. I think you'll love them. But wait, there is more. Every week, there is a new promotion, turning up the volume on value. So keep an eye out for our exciting special promotions. Every other week, 15% off in between. Sometimes there's a special 25% off day. And then sometimes there's free shipping. It's the perfect way to score your Cinema Psych podcast merch for less. I'm excited to have expanded the merchandise offerings, but I'm really excited to say that new designs are coming up. And you can put these designs on all of the merchandise. So keep an eye out for new arrivals in the design section. So don't just listen, wear it, flaunt it, live it. Visit our merchandise store at cinemapsychpod.swanpsych.com slash store to shop your love for the Cinema Psych Podcast today. Remember, every purchase goes directly to supporting this show. And of course, thanks for listening to this show. I love doing it. Now let's get back into it. And we are back talking everything everywhere all at once with Dr. Mona Shu. And in this segment, I think we were going to talk relationships, relationships and all of the things that those gnarly little things entail in this movie. So let's talk about Joy first and her relationships with Evelyn and uh, her mother and her father, Waymond. 
Um, so let's uh, we, we we talked a little bit about it in the first segment, Evelyn and, mm-hmm. and Joy. But she um, meets her match in Joy's sort of alter ego, Jobu, mm-hmm. and Jobu's everything bagel of eternity, <laughs> right? But I think, uh, and so it represents one growth point for Evelyn's character in this movie. And so, uh, Mona, would you explain a little bit more uh, about Evelyn and Joy's relationship? Yeah, I think um, at the heart of the movie is their relationship and how conflicted it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get a little bit of resolution. Certainly more needs to be done, I'm sure. But they are in a much better place by the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, and we can see, you know, just their interactions with one another. They're either fighting or avoiding each other mm-hmm. or, um, you know, complaining about the other person to their uh, to others or, you know, just not understanding each other um, and and not being able to really connect. Yeah. And uh, for me, one of, you know, kind of a little heartbreaking moment in the beginning is we see they it's not that they don't want to connect. They just have such a hard time being on the same page. And so Evelyn at one point um, clearly wants to talk to Joy like Joy's mm-hmm. about to leave. She follows her into the parking lot and you can see like she you know, she's calling to Joy. And then when Joy says what, you know, she just kind of says, well, you're getting fat, right? Mm-hmm. Like she can't bring herself to talk about something, um, you know, the deeper issues. Yeah. Um, and also there's a cultural component where, um, you know, more reserved, more traditional Chinese families, you don't necessarily say I love you or those sorts of things very much, but you show caring by, you know, commenting on each other's bodies and like worrying about like, you know, how are you looking? Yeah. How, you know, you need to take better care of yourself. Mm-hmm. It's it's meant to be um, uh, uh, an expression of love, but it's not necessarily taken that way. Right. And um, watching this movie, it was interesting to see, like for me, like that's just so common in uh, Asian culture that it didn't really phase me that much, even though I was like, oh, like that's a misconnection moment. But um, uh-huh. some uh, of, uh, you know, friends and other people who watch it, like it, that's a gasping moment of like, oh my gosh, like, like it's so harsh. Whereas it's like, no, it's kind of like an everyday thing that happens. Yeah. Right? And then so when you're navigating like like Joy being Chinese American, mm-hmm. like ugh, it, it hurts in a in a way that it's not intended to. Yeah. I sat in uh, a class for uh, a new faculty member. I was doing a class observation for her and it just ha- so happened to be the class where she was talking about acculturation uh, and um, assimilation. Mm. Uh, of cultures and specifically comparing the immigrant experience of Asian Americans and um, African Americans and Hispanic Americans. So that that big group uh, and how each of them have in sociology. This, she's a sociolo- uh, sociology professor. So uh, she was talking about the groups as a whole, of course, and she was uh, presenting data about um, how different groups acculturate and assimilate within a within a society and i think you see um a little bit of what the data shows for for asian americans and specifically for joy's character that and the reason why it's a gasping moment for americans watching this movie mm-hmm. is that um joy is steeped and assimilated within american culture and mm-hmm. what that majority culture brings to bear uh, while Evelyn is not right, Evelyn's still bringing that Chinese culture with her, even though she's been in the mm-hmm. United States for a long time. 
And so we, the audience, uh, for the most part in the United States, of course, uh, reacts from Joy's perspective. But mm-hmm. I, I love how you you added that 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 bit that bit of um, context for us. Like, well, mm-hmm. also see it from Evelyn's point of view too. And as you said, um, Daniel Kwan saying uh, that he kind of wrote his mother as Evelyn, right? So it it it's two sides of of the coin and and uh, going mm-hmm. even going back to the the immigrant experience which i i think is is quite amazing because i didn't know that until you just said mm-hmm. that right so like of course when i saw it i'm like oh my gosh that is that's an awful <laughs> thing to say to someone <laughs> right yeah but it does come from a place of of caring which should also be understood mhm oh. and so Contrast that then with Joy's relationship with her father, Waymond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from the beginning, we have this much more loving, affectionate, much less conflict-based uh, relationship, mm-hmm. right? Um, the first time uh, we see Joy and she's coming into the apartment, Waymond um, yells out, hi, honey, mm-hmm. right? Like we you cannot imagine Evelyn being that like just easily affectionate, um, at least not in the beginning of the movie. Um, he is, you know, the, the caring, nurturing one. Um, I really love how um, they play with gender roles a lot in this movie, mm-hmm. right? Waymond is um, not your stereotypical masculine guy. No. Uh, and, you know, his his role is much more of a supporting, kind, nurturing person. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the one who, you know, tells Evelyn to stop when she's saying really harsh things to Joy. Um, when Evelyn ties up Joy because Alpha Gong Gong, you know, (laughs) like she's learning about Jobu, um, Wayman is the one's like, oh, I'll I'll help you, right? Uh Like, they're just kind of rolling within, trying to work within, uh, Evelyn's, you know, whatever she's doing, like she's sort of the driving force. Um, and yeah, so I really... Uh, you can see that difference. Um, although I will point out that um, the movie does start um, with that tiny scene where we get to see in the mirror, all three of them functioning like a happy family. Yeah. Right? They're, they're singing karaoke together. Um, and it was, it was cut, but we get um, more of it on the DVD. Uh, what they're singing uh, is Barbie girl, actually. By Aqua, and, right? The Aqua yes. Barbie girl. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I love and it. So, it's such a, such a choice. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, Evelyn at one point uh, in the shot is like covering Joy's mouth. And I think it's the line like undress me everywhere. She, like, yeah. she doesn't want her right, daughter right. singing yeah. that. Yep. Um, and it gets cut later. But like I think they were going to end the movie on that parking lot scene where they kind of finally um, Joy and Evelyn finally reconcile. Mm-hmm. They um, but like they find the karaoke machine in the parking lot. It might be broke broken, but they pick up the, the microphones and start just you know, without music or anything, just singing Barbie girl, girl together. And then I think like everyone in the, in the laundromat does too. <laughs> um, it's, it's a great scene. I, I recommend that as a deleted scene, but I hopefully I'll see they, if, if um, YouTube has it. They usually have the, those featurettes on YouTube. So I'll see, see if I can oh, okay. find that. Yeah. There's, there's a couple of other really, um, really nice things that I was like, Oh, I can, I could see why they took it out or for time, but. Oh, but it, really if, it, if they're singing Barbie girl, maybe it's not on YouTube because ugh, the movie industry, <laughs> not the, oh, the music yeah. industry. I mean, Oh man. So good. That's true. Um, but yeah. yeah, I, I, I think 
I think Waymond, as you say, is is a, the more nurturing parent of the of the uh, two of them, and he he kind of acts as a nurturing sage. I want to use sage, um, but I don't know if I want to use nurturing so so abundant so abundantly. Um, but it kind of like that. Like he's he's there to be the emotional support. Where mm-hmm. we see um, Evelyn being the more strict, mm-hmm. stricter um, parent and like making sure that things are done when they're supposed to be done and done properly. And, and she kind of does that for everyone, too. Right. She kind of snaps at everyone in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be a place that could be coming from coming from a place of depression as well. Right. Because. Irritation mm-hmm. is uh, a str- uh, like is is an emotional symptom of of depression. It's not just I'm sad, but I'm also irritated by everything. Yeah, and Wayman yeah. seems to have more of a um, lack lackadaisical or happy go lucky kind of of approach. You know, it, it just struck me like I don't I don't think we get to see who if it was both of them, but like the choice of Joy's name. Mm-hmm. But you know. Evelyn, especially in the beginning of the movie, like there is no joy in her life. Yeah. Like she's all about, you know, I got to get these things done and I'm annoyed at every, like everyone needs to be efficient. She's very um, irritated by even like, you know, women putting googly eyes on things, which he's doing to like try to cheer her up mm-hmm. and like, you know, but he's embracing joy and, you know, dancing with the customers mm-hmm. and, you know, just excited and enthusiastic about everything and everyone. Um, and for Evelyn at that point, you know, she just, she doesn't see the point of like, you know, it's just a waste of time mm-hmm. and energy if you're like, you know, doing these joyful things, right? Because we got work to do. We got serious things yeah. we have to do. Life is serious um, business. Yeah. Even if you name your daughter after, you know, joy. <laughs> right, right. Uh, which is a great little, you know, writing, uh, writing thing, right? Having a character mm-hmm. be abstract ideas that the characters are also trying to deal with and that being a source of conflict because not only is it a meta uh meta commentary on joy itself and happiness but also like literally a character is a source of conflict Mm -hmm. um which which is you know is it's great writing which is why this movie works so well mom Good for you. You're figuring your shit out. That's great. I'm really, really happy for you. But I'm tired. I don't want to hurt anymore. And for some reason, when I'm with you, it just... It just hurts the both of us. So let's just go our separate ways, okay? <laughs> just let me go. Okay. Wait. You are getting fat. And you never call me, even though we have a family plan. What? And it's free. You only visit when you need something. You got a tattoo, and I don't care if it's supposed to represent our family. You know I hate tattoos. And of all the places I could be, why would I want to be here with you? Yes, you're right. 
doesn't make sense. Evelyn, let her finish. Maybe it's like you said. Maybe there is something out there, some new discovery that will make us feel like even small pieces of shit. Something that explains why you still went looking for me through all of this noise. And why, no matter what, I still want to be here with you. I will always Always want to be here with you. So what? You're just gonna ignore everything else. You could be anything, anywhere. You might not go somewhere where you're. Oh, your daughter is more than just this. <laughs> Here, all we get are a few specks of time where any of this actually makes any sense. <laughs> And so before we move on to the main relationship in this movie, let's talk a, a little bit more. Let's go back to Evelyn and her father, Gong Gong. Um, but we, we talked a little bit about how the two of them sort of ended within the film. Like uh, Evelyn sort of just cuts in and it's like girlfriend and, and, uh, and everything is good from there as far as uh, I'm going to take a stand against my... Slightly overbearing father um, mm -hmm. in sort of the main universe that we start with. Uh, but we also meet the alpha universe, mm -hmm. Gong Gong. And so what is his role to play in the relationship um, with Evelyn and her actual father? Yeah, I think... You know, he's he's another iteration of her father. And while he's quite different in the sense of, you know, he speaks English, mm -hmm. right? He's um, very uh, take charge, um, much more, um, uh, you know, he's, he's in the wheelchair, but he's, you know, saving them. He's he's a fighter, right? He's he's in this leadership position in the Alphaverse. Um, he's still very much uh, in in a similar spot in terms of treating Evelyn poorly, mm -hmm. you know, um, berating her, for example, because she won't kill her daughter. Mm -hmm. Like he, he gives her a, um, uh, one of those um, box cutters, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, how, how can you kill Jobu in every universe if you can't even kill, you know, one in, in this one? Mm -hmm. um, and I think what's really interesting is when um, Evelyn in our multiverse um, our, our universe, you know, stands up to her father in the laundromat. It, um, there's also like cuts to, or th there's also her standing up to Alpha Gong Gong, you know, when Joy is getting towards the bagel, um, and sort of saying like, I'm not like treating them both the same way in terms of like, I'm not going to let you make me do this to my daughter. I'm not going to, yeah. um, let you do, 
uh, or I'm not going to do what you did to me, mm-hmm. to her. Um, and really standing up to both versions of her father. Um, and we see, you know, Gongo maybe come around a little um, in when, when he finds out about Becky and then in the alpha Gongong, like and ends up helping, like try to bring joy back from, from the bagel yeah. too. So she's kind of successful in, in both fronts. So what did um, Gongong do to Evelyn? Like in, so in our I universe? Think, yeah. So um, her, um, uh, let's see. So she said, you know, how did you let me go? How on earth did you do it so easily? So when she, when Wayman is telling her like, Hey, let's, um, let's go to, you know, start a life together. It seems like he let her go. And then it seems like it's, it took a really long time for them to reestablish a relationship. So it's, I think only like one or two scenes where, um, we see her like calling him and trying to, you know, like, you know, why won't you like talk to me? Mm-hmm. And, and, um, it seems like he kind of was really like, if you leave, you know, I'm done with you kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And they're only now, um, at the beginning of the movie, like she's, even though he's, living with them and she's taking care of him. Um, he's not treating her like a daughter. He's, you know, barking orders at her and like, where's, where's my food? And, you know, berating her all the time still. Right. Yeah. Like clearly he thought she made the wrong decision to go. Um, and we do get that universe where um, she ends up choosing to stay mm-hmm. and they seem to have a more, you know, typical uh, relationship that way. Mm-hmm. We also get the universe where she, blinds herself and becomes the opera singer and he's involved in her life by maybe helping her with her you know managing her her career yeah it's it's quite interesting too because you know he's got a he's got some we'll call it gall at the in the (laughs) toward the end of his life being in a wheelchair to you know act this way toward his daughter but there is some cultural uh influences here am i right about that and like the relationships between a father and a daughter um, in that context? Yeah, I think if you're thinking about, you know, very traditional roles and values of, um, you know, filial piety mm-hmm. and sort of this, you know, you respect elders, you never mm-hmm. speak back to them or disagree with them. They, you know, what they say goes and parents are, you know, to be obeyed. Right? Yeah. So the fact that she at one point in her life made a choice for herself was um, really a wedge that um, he wouldn't let go of. Um, he clearly thinks he knows better yeah. in terms of like what she should have done with her life and is very much like, you know, the, this is why, you know, um, but, you know, criticizing every decision she makes, even though she's already lying about what is happening to try to um, not get his disapproval. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, she she claims they're at the tax building because they're doing so well that they have to fill out forms to like start another laundromat. Right. And then he just criticizes, oh, still doing laundry, st-, you know, like, yeah, that's not good enough. So, um, yeah, I bring that up because um, as a as a child of of the Disney empire, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, having having grown up with uh, most uh, East Asian and Chinese representation being from disney movies uh, mulan being one of them mm. for sure and more recently um with turning red uh, i don't know if mm-hmm. you've seen that i have not it is on my list i've heard it's lovely it is it's very it's very lovely um and, and while that movie is set in canada 
um, and while Mulan obviously is set in um, the distant past, there is a lot of focus in these stories about elder respect um, mm-hmm. and it being a significant feature of uh, Chinese culture. And so that, that that was mainly the reason why I was asking, because uh, it, it sort of translates into the media that we see. Right. And and a lot of American culture has been created by media representations. Um, and so it, it sort of just it for me, it played into that understanding. And I was curious if if that is um, something that can occur i mean you're talking about an old man in a wheelchair still still sort of barking as you say and 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 treating her poorly if that's something that still does occur in um in real immigrant um experiences i mean i'm I'm sure it does happen to to some folks um so i can't speak to like what proportion or how Mm -hmm. different that would be compared to um you know more western cultures um but i think you know, in more communal, collectivistic cultures yeah. that, where you value elders, um, it's sort of just, you know, similar to the, the comments about, you know, body size or something. You kind sure. of get used to it because it's just sort of like it's part of the the process, right? Um, and you also do have, um, so I don't know if you've seen The Farewell. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this wonderful movie with Aquafina. Uh, I think the tagline was based on a true lie. Um, <laughs> you also do see younger generations kind of um, doing things that in the West we would not really agree with in terms of making like medical decisions for um, elder folks and then lying to them about that to kind of protect their feelings. Oh, um, but see. making that as sort of like a family decision. Um, it's uh, the, t- the tagline is because it, it it's based a little bit on the, um, I believe the director's life. So, like it, partly it's something that they did with her grandma. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't know if her grandma ended up seeing the movie and <laughs> figuring it out, but um, so it's not completely like top down. You just, you know, b- but um, there is a sense of like, you have a duty to each other mm-hmm. and sometimes it comes out in a way that's harsh. Mm-hmm. And so from a parental or elder point of view, when you're being harsh, it's not to be cruel. It's you're trying to, improve the lives of people that, you know, are important to you. And if they're making the wrong decision, you better let them know gotcha. so they can try to fix it. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, in our more individualistic yeah. and also like follow your dreams kind of cultures yeah. in the West, that seems very like atypical of, of um, like, you know, someone else plans out your life or knows better mm-hmm. than you and you're supposed to just follow. Yeah. Uh, if I'm making a bad decision, well, that's my, that's my bad decision to make. Yeah. Right. And, it, and, it, and it's not anyone else's duty to prevent you from yes, making right. that decision. Yes, right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the, the logical end there. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. I don't know. The only thing I do know is that we have to be kind. Please. Be kind, especially when we don't know what's going on. I understand that you're not a servant. I'm not a servant. It's just that we're different from our choice. 
still turn around and avoid all this. Please. Be kind. It's too late to win. Don't say that. So let's move into then the relationship du jour, um, Mm -hmm. which is, of course, Evelyn and Wayman. And they are a uh, struggling couple at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. They're a struggling couple. So you find out at the be- in the beginning of the movie that Waymond, that who we just described as kind of like easy breezy, um, beautiful googly eye girl, uh, wants to file for divorce from Evelyn. And she is completely shocked by this. And we're all thinking to ourselves, how is she shocked by this? We just watched 10 minutes of them, like, you know, just completely at odds with each other's characterizations. Mm -hmm. Why would that be grounds for divorce? Obviously, we don't know everything else because it's not contained within the movie. But why wouldn't? there be uh divorced there. So what is going on between Waymond and Evelyn uh, in this movie? Oh, that's a big question. Yeah. So I think, yeah, if we're coming in with our, um, you know, what we think of as ideal relationships, especially in Western contexts, they don't have that, right? She is so um, not responsive to him, you know, first few minutes she doesn't even really look him in the eye Mm -hmm. he's trying to talk to her and she's just like you know i I need to do these other things Mm -hmm. and we later find out he's um he got the paperwork in part because he just wants to talk to her Mm -hmm. right and um you know when he doesn't have something serious she doesn't give him the time um and i can't remember if it was a family member or friend you know someone else he knew filed like filed or had divorce papers and it got them talking so he's using it as a um a commitment strategy of like actually saving the relationship. Um, it's a bold strategy, she, Cotton. <laughs> yes, where she, you know, feels uh, like it was a surprise. Mm-hmm. And he's very surprised when she um, at one point just signs it and goes, okay, fine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have another uh, bit where they do have a conversation about it. And he's, you know, crying and, and saying, you know, I, I know, essentially, I know... I, I ruined your life and, you know, we shouldn't have gotten married. And, mm-hmm. and, and she's coming out of her shell a little bit to say like, I've never said that. And he's like, you didn't have to, like, I, I see the way you look at me and I, you know, um, see the way he sees the way that she treats him. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear, like what he would like, um, when they first enter the, um, the, the building for their tax appointment, he sees an older couple very like lovingly just um, I think one of them is like using the restroom so hands over the bag for the other person to hold and they kiss and it, there's just such a lovely wistful look um, Kihoi Kwan is an amazing actor mm-hmm. um, and then we get the nice um, return to that at the end of the movie where they're going back for a second tax appointment and you know Evelyn kisses him and it, it's you know it, it's a nice callback and we see the progress that's been made um, but it's clear he wants, you know, a partner who's responsive. Um, and, and we know from um, the relationships literature, perceived partner responsiveness is, mm-hmm. you know, a massive factor in 
um, relationship uh, satisfaction and, and stability. Um, and it's it's an inter- it is a bold move to think like, OK, the way to do this <laughs> is to, um, you know, because she's not going to take it seriously without like, right. the paperwork. Right. right. So. Which is. Oh, man, that is. I got to say, that is uh, that is a tough thing thing to 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 uh, deal with if like you are going to say, listen, the only way that you're going to actually talk to me is if I hold a gun to your head like woof, mm-hmm. woof. Where has that relationship taken you guys? And I, I wanted to to point out um, the 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 way that they converse in the alleyway that we talked about as an mm. homage to the other film and how uh, this was after the movie premiere and they're all dressed to the mm-hmm. nines and everything like that. And they're just like they're talking to each other and they're not together because mm-hmm. they made different life choices. And mm-hmm. one of those life choices led Evelyn to a, an acting career. Right. And and so they're talking to each other. And I the thing that I I extracted from that scene was when you're with uh when you're with someone and you're with them for a long time um and as i have been with with my wife um we've been together for almost 20 years now married for um coming up to 14 years mm-hmm. um so when you're with somebody for a long time you do often think about maybe not often i shouldn't say that but you think about what life may have been like mm-hmm. and we can't we can't uh, w- w- without making that choice that's what i mean um and we can't do that that's not something that we can do and so we live vicariously through these characters who are able to do it evelyn and wayman mm-hmm. are a- well evelyn at this point is the one who's actually jumping through the different multiverses and so she gets to experience for a little bit time when she is not and was not with Waymond and um and and you you bring up the point about um she says to him I saw my life without you I wish you could have seen it it was beautiful and while mm-hmm. that is a massive gut punch to Waymond <laughs> as a person as a human being like wow we really effed up by getting married and spending all this time together it does bring a different perspective um it it shows you the way that it could have been the way that it is. And she ultimately chooses the way that it, that it is, but mm-hmm. with changes. Yeah. And, um, one of the psychological, um, uh, concepts that I think this really illustrates well is, you know, the idea of what if, and the idea of alternatives. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, the, uh, investment model of uh, commitment, which um, the late great Carol Rustbolt is probably most um, associated with, has this understanding of commitment, which is you know positively related to relationship stability and staying in that relationship, mm-hmm. being influenced by uh, satisfaction in the relationship, um, investments in the relationship. So the happier you're in the relationship and the more you've invested in that relationship, the more likely you are to be committed to that relationship. Yeah. Um, and then perceived quality of alternatives, which is negatively associated with commitment. And for um, Evelyn, like she maybe was so just worn down by her life, right? She wasn't necessarily thinking about other possibilities. And now all of a sudden she has access to all these other universes. Mm-hmm. She's getting to see like the other 
um, alternatives and the quality of them, at least this one, like she keeps trying to go back to this movie star um, uh, universe, right? Because she enjoys it so much, right? It's so high that she, you know, clearly is less committed to her universe, uh, Waymond, in in terms of just even just saying out loud, you know, it was so beautiful, like my life without you, like um, that, that is such a rough thing to say to your partner. Yeah. Yeah. It is a rough thing to say to your partner. Not something that you could, and, and, and it's not something you could ever take back either. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so even though she fights, fights a couple of dudes with dildos in the movie um <laughs> and um other such sex toys like that pales into comparison with how much damage something like that could do to a person completely completely different kinds of pain yeah and it speaks to how committed waymond is that you know even though he's clearly hurt by that it, it's not the end of the relationship mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. Like he's still, he's still trying. Um, and then even, um, you know, rich, successful Waymond in that movie star version of Evelyn uh, universe in that alleyway. Um, that's, that's probably my favorite scene. And it gets me every time um, the, the laundry and taxes scene where, you know, they're not together and yeah. he wishes they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was, a few times I noticed like the English subtitles are a little different than the actual Mandarin, but this one really jumped out at me. And I really appreciated that because I think um, there's a two layers now, if you look at um, either the English subtitles, which is beautiful. So he, um, he says, um, even though you've broken my heart yet again, I wanted to say in another life, I would have really liked just doing laundry and taxes with you. Mm-hmm. Right. Like such a, like he has everything in this universe, right? He's successful. He's rich. Um, but he, would prefer he's wistful about this life he could have had, which to Evelyn's mind is like, you know, I'm a failure and it's a, yeah. it's a terrible life. Um, but the actual Mandarin um, that he says um, translates more like directly to um, despite you repeatedly or with a little hesitation, breaking my heart. I wish to tell you um, if there is a next life, if there's another life, I would still choose to be together with you filing taxes and opening a laundromat. And for me, I love like having both those versions of this wistful I wish and this other more out of all the universes out there, mm-hmm. I would choose you. Um, and this is something that, you know, speaking of self-expansion and Evelyn incorporating uh, Waymond at, is echoed later at the end um, in the parking lot where uh, Evelyn is talking to Joy and says, you know, I still choose you. I will always choose you even if there's only these tiny fleeting moments where things make sense, right? Um, I will, there's never a situation where I wouldn't go after you. Yeah. And so I just, all of that, I just find beautiful. Yeah. I mean, among all of the hurt in the movie, like I said earlier, um, the Daniels do a very good job of bringing us back to a, a, um, an ending that is not necessarily like, yep, everything's all wrapped up yet again uh it is more like um yeah there's work to be done there has there's hurt feelings all over the place here there's a lot of communication that needs to take place um Mm -hmm. evelyn learns that really well when they're both rocks how do rocks talk i don't know (laughs) um i have a lot of questions about the hot dog fingers as well uh (laughs) why was it only fingers that evolved that way. I don't know. 
But in any case, it's not wrapped up with a bow. There is still human work to be done, right? There, mm-hmm. We still are talking about real people with real uh, relationships and relationships take t- take work and they take time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we see Evelyn really embracing that learning process, mm-hmm. right? And um, so part of the alleyway scene, again, which is interspersed throughout um, Waymond very directly is like, you know, you, you think I'm weak because um, I'm, I'm choosing out of out of survival mm-hmm. to, to be this way, right? This, this is how I fight with, you know, with kindness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our, um, universe Waymond, you know, you know, I, I know you're scared and confused. I'm scared and confused too. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but all I know is we have to be kind, right? Please be kind. And, uh, maybe an ultimate example of self-expansion, Evelyn recognizing like there is value. It's not just like, oh, my silly husband, right? Which she uses that phrase a few times. Um, but rather like she's embracing, she, you know, takes a googly eye and puts it on her forehead. Um, and she decides to be kind to people instead of fighting them. Um, and she actually says at one point, you know, um, I, I'm learning to fight like, or to fight like you. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so she's embracing these aspects of women, which are not weak, um, and are really actually what's needed to pull Jobu from the brink Mm -hmm. and to start healing um, their family. Yeah. Be kind, a mantra for the future. And and every multiverse, I think that can be a, a mantra. I want to thank Dr. Mona Shu for joining me to discuss everything, everywhere, all at once. E-A-O. <laughs> Before we say goodbye, Mona, is there anything that you'd like to plug for our, our listeners? Where can they find out more about your work in the Thor lab? <laughs> sure. Um, you can find out more about um, me and my lab at my lab website. Okay. Uh, shulab isu.weebly.com or just go to um, Idaho State University. I'm going to link it in the show notes so they can just click right on there. Yeah. Great. Thank you. And um, I will I will plug our um, two PhD psych programs, one clinical, one experimental. Um, I particularly have a fond spot in in my heart for the experimental program as I'm currently the director. (laughs) Um, And then just, you know, I don't know if it's a plug, but be, be kind, be kind to others and um, yourself, right? We're all navigating all these multiverses within us and everyone has these inner lives and identities that we can never fully understand. So the best way to try to make it through this world together is to, to be kind. Such a great message. Uh, I'm I, I'm glad you added that as your, as your plug. I, I open the floor <laughs> to the guests and... You, you, you came, you came swinging. I love it. So <laughs> thanks again, Mona. I really appreciate you coming and talking this movie since we both adored it. Um, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. It was lovely getting to, you know, nerd out about something that I love uh, for quite, quite a long time. And that's going to do it for this episode. Until next one. Thanks for listening. <laughs>